So we find ourselves uh, coming back to Isaiah today in Isaiah chapter 24. If you'd like to turn over there with me in your Bible. Uh, if you've been uh, tracking with us uh, throughout our time in Isaiah, you'll remember that uh, we're in the last section, or in the, the final chapter of a section that we've been working through, and uh, this section is all about judgment and God's, um, God's indictment on the surrounding nations of Isaiah's day. Uh, you'll remember that as we kind of parachute into this chapter, uh, after being away, being away from it for a couple of weeks, that Israel is literally surrounded by the Assyrian nation. They are being threatened. Um, other nations have been swallowed up by the Assyrian Empire. And uh, there are, you know, the remaining nations are banding together. You'll remember that the northern nation of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, that the northern uh, nation of Israel um, formed a... Uh, a pact with some of the surrounding nations uh, against Assyria and wanted Judah to join. And um, God, of course, gave clear instructions that he would protect Judah. He would uh, see them through, that they didn't need to side with enemy nations and make unwise treaties with ungodly people in order to ensure their protection. And um, can, can, we just, can we just start off with that thought um, as we come to this? Um, are we ever tempted to go away from the will of God because we think it will contribute to our protection and safety and happiness and care. Do you ever struggle with that? Uh, I'm just going to make this one decision here because it's, it's, it's going to make things better. And uh, I want you to see that that, that challenge is not new. Uh, the circumstances might be different, but these dear people in the nation of Judah were tempted to to do what they knew God forbid. And here, here's why. And this this is something you and I will face every day. They were tempted to act out of fear instead of faith. You got that? They were tempted to act out of fear instead of faith. And you and I will face that probably countless times, a number of times every single day. I'm just going to do this because it's going to make me safe. I'm just going to do this because then it's going to give me what I want. I'm just going to do this because it's going to make me happy instead of what we know God tells us in His Word. And that that's the predicament of the people of Judah as they are surrounded by Assyrians and and that's a part of that's a big theme of what Isaiah is talking about is that to act remember faith is acting on the basis of what God says is true that's faith and and that's one of the big ideas of this whole book so just to remind you kind of where we're at uh we've covered this first section the prophecies against Judah and now we're in the last section uh the prophecies against the nations we've we've finished that section there and then there's this little It's just one chapter, the prophecies uh, of the day of the Lord, the prophecy of of God's judgment, not just on the nations, but on the whole earth. It's one chapter, it's chapter 24, and then what you'll see as we go into uh, subsequent weeks, the prophecies of judgment and blessing uh, moving toward uh, the middle part of the book. So we're about one-third of the way through this 66-chapter massive book, so that's good. I think we're making good progress, and... um, 
so we're, we're rocking along here the way we should be. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 24, we're, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, we'll we'll kind of hit some highlights here as we review, and then we'll, we'll pick up where we left off last time. So just look with me at Isaiah chapter 24, verse 1. This is judgment on the whole earth. This is the end of the world as we know it. Do you feel fine? Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. And the people will be like the priest, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, the creditor like the debtor. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth itself will mourn and wither, the world fades and withers, the exalted of the people on earth fade away. As John MacArthur said one time, if you think we are destroying the planet, wait till you see what Jesus does to it. Now, that is, that is not something we should say to be poor stewards of the earth that God has entrusted to us. And Genesis chapter 1 tells us we are stewards of God's creation. So, so don't take that to say we should be trashing the planet. But this is clarifying as we think about the reality of what our future holds. The future for this present life and planet is not you know, final bliss, it is final judgment when Jesus returns and then he will build a new heaven and a new earth. Okay. So looking at this, let's just review kind of where we we looked at last time. The Lord lays the earth waste. And, And you'll notice here the intensive language we talked about last time, utterly laid waste, completely Plundered In the strongest possible language, Isaiah employs um, some forms in the poetry here that emphasizes the utter destruction. This, this, is not, this is not a localized battle. This is a whole earth-wide destruction where the Lord destroys the earth as a function of His judgment. And, and, and we might say, well, what did the earth ever do wrong? What did the earth ever do wrong? Why is God so severe on the planet? What would you say to that theologically? What's that? It's cursed. It's cursed. And, you, and, and I appreciate that. You, you need to get this. The reason the world is broken today is because of people. Not, not that you know, we, 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 we were you know, putting too many you know, chlorofluorocarbons into the atmosphere or something like that, but because... Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the creation. And from that moment on, life begins to run down. Death came into the world. Sickness and illness. Brokenness. Um, weeds and thorns. You, you know, you know you're, you're walking through your grass. And ah, what I, and there's one of those little Texas standbers again. And, and the, the, the simple irritations of life like weeding that are all a function of the fact that we live in a cursed creation because God judged it when Adam and Eve sinned. And so we see here that the earth, 
and this is really interesting, the, the, the judgment on the earth is a fruit or an expression of God's judgment on humanity. Do you see that? Because we were, the human beings were the stewards of creation. So when God judges Adam and Eve and says, you will die now because of your sin, uh, the earth bears the residual of Adam and Eve's judgment and continues to this day. You say, why would God do that? Well, isn't it interesting that, and I've said this before, the, the, the universe is both beautiful and broken, isn't it? It's wonderful, amazing uh, sunsets and mountain ranges and, and you know, fall colors, right? We, we just got back from, uh, we connected through Paris on the way back. The fall colors in Paris right now, Boston on our way out. Absolutely beautiful, right? And there's, just, there's this beauty in creation where we say we cannot deny that God is not real because only God could make something so beautiful, right? And yet every day that beautiful world hurts us, doesn't it? It hurts us. The world is full of brokenness and trial and pain and sickness and death. And the earth bears the marks of the brokenness because of the curse of sin in Genesis chapter 3. So so that's why, if you're following with me, that's why as Jesus comes back in final judgment, he destroys the planet. Because the planet is affected by our sin through that Genesis 3 curse. Does that make sense? That's, that's the logic of the Bible as to why the whole creation groans and awaits for Christ to return. Because the whole thing needs to be reset and, and started over. Notice all people, verse 2, are affected equally. That's, that's that, that part about the people being like the priest, the servant like the master. The point is, all of these distinctions in society are leveled out. It's, it's a level playing field. Everybody will be judged equally. It doesn't matter if you're a king or if you're a slave. God's judgment comes upon you. And just this utter, complete destruction because God has spoken it. Now, Verses 4 to 13, this is by way of review again, we learn about why all this is happening. And so look back at the text there, and, and I want you to, to remind me, remind the class, what has happened for God to bring this judgment on the whole earth? What, what, what's the bad things that, that have brought this judgment? Turning away from God. Uh, you can look on the screen or at your notes and verses 5 to 6 will tell you specifically why this has happened. If you want to... Yes? Yeah. That's right. You see that there? People, the, 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 the plight of, of sinful humanity is we do not want to love and obey and follow and submit to our Creator. That's always been the problem. That's always been the challenge. Romans 1 says we suppress the truth. This beautiful planet that says God is real. We suppress that truth so we don't have to submit to him so we can go our own way and be our own boss and make up our own rules. We, we do not want to submit to our creator. You know, like, like the one-year-old that, that screams bloody murder because he refuses to submit to his mom for whom that little guy or little girl depends on everything in life, right? Mom walks away, that baby dies. 
And yet that's, that's what sinful humanity does to God. The, the very one who we depend on for life and breath and every good thing, uh, Paul says in the book of Acts, we rebel against and, and we, we develop this illusion of autonomy that we don't need God. We've broken His laws, the text says. We've transgressed, violated the statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. That, that's a reference to um, uh, uh, the Mosaic covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. So that's why this judgment is coming. And, and that's a good reminder. Um, this afternoon, when you're trying to watch football, and your wife wants you to work on something that's broken in the house, or your children are being too loud in the other room, and you get just a little bit angry, or maybe a lot angry, and we break the law of God in that moment, what does God think of that? According to this verse. You know, you just don't want to say it because it's too, it's too indicting, isn't it? I know, me too, me too. What does God think of that? When we violate His law that says consider others as more important than yourself. Yeah. You see, that, that, that moment of anger is an example of why God is going to trash the earth one day. Well, just let that settle in for a minute. The reason my sin, I'll, I'll talk about me, my sin is so bad, God is going to destroy the whole planet as a result. Right? That's what he's saying. That's why this judgment on the earth comes, because men and women created in God's image to love and follow him are disobeying him and turning away and living in sin. And that's why this comes. So this, this reminds us again, guys, that, that God takes our sin very seriously, doesn't He? Now, are we grateful for a Savior who forgives us and gives us His righteousness and wipes the slate clean and says, not guilty? Right? Are we grateful for that? Absolutely we are. But, but that, that should not diminish in any way the severity and serious, seriousness of our sin. In fact, if it took Jesus, the Son of God, dying on the cross to fix that, that should show us something of how severe our sin really is. And Isaiah reminds us that as a fruit of humanity's sin, God will judge and destroy this beautiful planet. Now notice verse 14, and this, we, 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 look, we talked about this, about this last time. Uh, they raise their voices, they shout for joy, they cry from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. Therefore glorify the Lord in the east, the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear songs, glory to the righteous one. So what's going on here? Isaiah in the prophecy looks forward to a time after judgment when people are regathered, when believers gather together and they break forth in song as God brings His righteous judgment. Then the earth will be full of His praise. And and notice... Um, hang on just a second here. There we go. And yet, look at verse 16. Look at 16. But Isaiah says... But I say, woe to me, woe to me, alas for me, the treacherous deal treacherously, and the treacherous deal very treacherously. What's he saying? He's saying, 
Isaiah says, I can't celebrate yet that day because I know we haven't worked through the judgment yet. There's a day coming when believers will be regathered. They will once again praise the Lord following this horrific judgment. And Isaiah says, because he knows that judgment is still coming, he's not ready to celebrate just yet because the judgment will be horrible. Look at 17. Terror and pit and snare confront you, O inhabitant of the earth. Then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare, for the windows above are opened, and the foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken, it is split, it is shaken, it reels to and fro, it totters like a shack, for its transgression is heavy upon it, and it will fall never to rise Again, so these shocking pictures of judgment we saw last time as the earth is utterly destroyed. Okay, now, um, when is all this going to happen? Let's, let's go back here. Let me show you this. All right, there we go. Okay. Look at look at this next verse here. The earth reels to and fro like a junkard. It, it, draw, it totters, staggers, for it is transgre- its transgression is heavy upon it, and it will fall never to rise again. Verse 21. So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on the earth. Now, this is interesting. This is something we've not seen yet. Up until now, the the gaze of Isaiah's judgment has been on the earth, right? And we see that the, the target of God's judgment is coming on people on the earth. What do we see in verse 21 about the scope of his judgment? What else is going on? It's universe-wide and includes something called the host of heaven on high. What's the host of heaven on high? Spiritual beings like angels. Yeah, these are spiritual beings. So God's judgment is coming here not just on the planet, not just the kings on the earth, but also uh, on uh, on the, uh, the host of heaven on high. These are spiritual beings. Now, I want to show you this because we get a little bit of insight about this if we cross-reference it with some things we see in the New Testament. Okay, so just hold your, hold your place there. Flip over to 2 Peter. Let me just show you a couple of places where we get little glimpses into this. The Bible tells us very little about angels, very little about the spiritual beings. Um, uh, there are some sections in Scripture, we get some insight, we, we know that they are uh, ministers of God, they're created beings, uh, we know that um, they serve in many ways as messengers, the word angelos, angel, literally means a messenger, and, um, and we also know that, um, that some of these angels... Uh, disobeyed God and were judged, and that's a bit of what we see here. Now, Peter talks about this in Second Peter chapter two, verse four. So let, let, we're just going to look at a couple of verses here, and then we'll try to pull it all together and figure out what all this means. Okay. Now, in context, Second Peter chapter two is talking about false prophets that arise in the end times. So again, Peter's 
uh, Peter's eyes are looking at the future as he writes this. He's looking at the end just like Isaiah is. Okay, So he's talking about false prophets and, and false teachers and what they're going to do in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Many will follow them and be deceived by them. Verse 4. Um, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having been having had them made an example for those who would live ungodly thereafter, and he rescued righteous Lot, uh, uh, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. So that's his point, is that as these false teachers arise in the end, don't fear because God's track record in the past is what? He judges ungodly people over and over and over again, and he rescues the righteous. So we don't have to fear those days coming upon us. That's his point. But notice one of the examples he gives in verse 4 is angels who sinned and were cast into this place called the pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And the word hell is used here, but used in parallel with pits of darkness. This is not the final destruction. This is like a a temporary hell, a, a Hades, if you will, where they await final judgment. Okay, so what does that tell us? That tells us that right now, if we get our timeline right, there are sinful angels who have been put in a prison, put in a place called these pits of darkness, and and what are they there for? They're, They're awaiting what? A final judgment, right? Well, that final judgment is what is pictured by Mr. Isaiah in Isaiah 24, when God judges the host of heaven. Okay, let's look at another one. Um... That shouldn't be Judges, that should be Jude. Uh, flip to the right just a few pages uh, to the book of Jude, to Jude chapter 1 verse 6. Because Jude, likewise, uh, Jude of course is the, the brother of James, and um, we see here that he also talks about uh, a final judgment for angels. And again, he's talking about false teachers in the context of his letter. Chapter 1, verse 6 of Jude. And the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept into eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, the same way they indulge in gross immorality. So, so we see the same thing there. These, these sinful angels have been bound up and they are being kept right now for this coming day of judgment. Now, what's interesting is the book of Revelation actually shows us what that judgment day for angels looks like. It shows us more of what Isaiah says, what Peter says, and what Jude says. So let's go ahead and turn over to Revelation chapter 20, and let's look at how this works, okay? We see the fulfillment of Isaiah uh, uh, verse 23. We see the fulfillment of that in Revelation 20. You with me? You guys are awfully quiet today. Okay, stay with me, okay? Because this, this, what we're going to see is uh, the Apostle John in his vision in the book of Revelation is going to show us the fulfillment of what Isaiah talks about, what Peter talked about, and what Jude talks about. The final judgment for the heavenly host. And, and he's also going to show us 
the fulfillment of the judgment of the kings of the earth. Remember Isaiah said there's going to be judgment for the kings of the earth and the host of heaven. We'll see both of those happen in Revelation chapter 20. Let's just read the first few verses here of Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. Verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and the judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. Now the beast and the image, that goes back to previous chapters in the book of Revelation, uh, a, a time of great... Um, Great idolatry where people, many, many people are led to the worship of this beast, this false Christ, the, this antichrist. And um, verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Uh, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 7, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison, and will come out to deceive the nations. Uh, down verse 9, and they came up on the broad plain of the earth, and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them, was th- who was thrown in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beasts and the false prophets are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever. And ever. Okay, so we see here the judgment of Satan, the judgment of his uh, host, and then eventually uh, a final judgment. We'll just go ahead and complete the chapter. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the book according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so we see uh, in the first part of chapter 20, we see the, uh, the judgment upon Satan and his host, um, there, and then we also see in verses 21 and following, or excuse me, verses 11 to 14, what we call the great white throne judgment. That's the judgment of the kings of the earth. This is the final judgment for unbelievers. And so we see now that the demons that are mentioned in uh, Isaiah and in uh, Peter and Jude are confined in prison as a temporary judgment, and they are awaiting the final judgment that is talked about in Revelation chapter 20. Now, it's interesting, we, we need to back up a little bit and talk about where all this takes place. And this intersects a bit with uh, where Lisa and I were just at. So let's, uh, let's look at some uh, show and tell here, okay, shall we? Look at verse, uh, now let's go back to Isaiah 23. Or, excuse me, back to Isaiah 24, excuse me. Okay, back to Isaiah chapter 24, and we're looking at the, the very last verse of the chapter, okay? Um, 
Verse 23, then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and in his glory before his elders. So, so what happens? And on this day, the earth is judged. Demons are judged. The kings of the earth are judged. Everybody whose name is not written in the, in the Lamb's book of life is judged. And then what happens? What happens is the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. So this this battle, so a couple of things. The Lord will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. That, that's the temple mount uh, where the temple once stood. This event is fulfilled by the Messiah during the millennial reign. Okay, so th- th- there's you got to keep the chronology here, okay? It, it, the final judgment hap- happens after, um, uh, according to Revelation, which which lays the timeline out a little more clearly than Isaiah. Isaiah jumps around sometimes, but the timeline is this binding, this this uh, judgment, this battle uh, that we call Armageddon, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Then Jesus, the Messiah, reigns for a thousand years, and then we have the final judgment that happens afterwards. So that's the actual timeline uh, of how this works. Now, where does this take place? So we'll move to our show and tell here. Uh, anybody know this location other than Lisa? It is Israel, okay. What's that? Okay, it is the plain of Jezreel, also known as what? Megiddo. Yeah, actually, I, uh, we took this picture. Actually, we're on we're on Mount Carmel here, which is just north of Megiddo, looking down because it's a lot higher. This is where um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal came together, the fire from heaven, that happened on Mount Carmel. So that's where we're standing, looking down into the Jezreel Valley. And if you look down, right down in this area, there is another, it's actually a mountain, but it's what they call a tell. It's not a God-made mountain. It's a mountain that happens because people have conquered it and rebuilt and conquered it and rebuilt and conquered and rebuilt so many times, there's a mountain there. Okay, so down in this area is what's called the city of Megiddo, the Tell of Megiddo, or, or the the mountain that's there, and then the valley looking over. Um, the, the the name Armageddon is actually Har H A R Megiddo. Har means mountain in Hebrew. Megiddo is the city right at the base there of the valley, and this is where that final battle takes place. This is where people come. Uh, from all over the earth as Isaiah envisions there for this final battle. Um, so that was one of the locations that we saw. And actually, as uh, the pastor we were with sat and preached, he preached from uh, Revelation chapter 20 where this battle is going to take place in this valley uh, one day. Now you'll notice, looking at Isaiah chapter 24 again, verse 23, then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. So if we go south from the valley, uh, does anybody know what this is? Yeah, this is, so this is Jerusalem. In the background with all the high rises here, that's the new city. In the foreground, this is the old city. And you can see the wall that goes around the city. This area right here 
is the Temple Mount. So you can see the wall that goes around. This is the old city right here. The New Jerusalem, not, not, not the New Jerusalem like, like Revelation 21, not that New Jerusalem. The modern Jerusalem is back here. The old city is here on the east side. And then this section right here is the Temple Mount. That's the very top of the mountain that all this is built on. And as one of you mentioned, uh, the building with the gold dome is called the Dome of the Rock. Anybody know the significance of that? Right. Yeah. So this is a, a, a Muslim holy site. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So the Al Aqsa Mosque is right here, which is the third holiest mosque in the Islam religion, next to what's the primary holy mosque? Mecca. And what's the second most? Medina. Okay. You guys know your your Muslim history. We need to do a thing on, on Islam sometime. Anyway. So this is the third most holy mosque called the Al Aqsa Mosque. And the Dome of the Rock, as um, uh, as Carl mentioned, is um, the place where allegedly Muhammad ascended. Right here, this is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Right here, this is a little, little dome there, third holiest uh, mosque in in Islam. But yeah, Temple Mount and all that. Okay, so what's the significance of all of this? Well, this this verse tells us that the Lord of Hosts will reign on Mount Zion. Well, where's that? Right there and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. Now, okay, here's the advanced question. The advanced question. What is that? The eastern gate. And what's the significance of the eastern gate? This is the gate Christ returns through as he ascends the throne to rule Mount Zion. Okay? And... Um, it is sealed up. You know why it's sealed up? Because uh, an Arab ruler who knew the prophecy thought, I'm going to stop Jesus, so I'm going to fill the, the, uh, the, the entry gate here so he can't get in. And uh, there's actually a prophecy in the... Yeah, like that's going to stop Jesus, right? You know, I mean, have you read Revelation? Um, I mean, even, even, the, even the rocks flee from him when he shows up. I don't think a little extra masonry here is going to stop him. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, what's funny is, and I didn't know this, we actually learned from our guide that there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that actually predicts that the gate will be boarded up, so to speak, before the Messiah returns. So this Arab uh, ruler that thought that he would uh, undo the, the second coming of the Messiah actually fulfilled prophecy about the coming of the Messiah unknowingly. So, but that that's the Eastern Gate. Well, he will he will come again. Okay. Questions on that? We've got to go to Israel, guys. We gotta we gotta see this one day. Okay. Back to the text here. Look at this. Look at the last verses. Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. Even the sun and moon will participate in the symbolism of the guilt of humanity. Have you noticed this? How many times in the Bible, when we read about judgment, does it talk about the sun being darkened and the moon turns to blood? You ever notice those? Uh, Joel talks about that in his prophecy. Jesus talks about it in, in Matthew 24. 
um, as the uh, the great day of the Lord is is talked about. Why is that? Because, as one of you mentioned, the whole universe bears the scars and the effect of humanity's sin. And this is, this is you guys, as as Jesus comes in judgment, as he judges humanity, and as he judges the earth, even the even the the cosmos participates in a symbolism as God destroys the planet. And, and of course, you know, this is personified here. The moon will be abashed. The sun is ashamed. The sun is not literally ashamed. What God is saying is the heavenly bodies that dissolve when judgment comes and Jesus returns are just an exclamation point on how serious the sin that human beings engaged in was before God, how severe His judgment, and how high the penalty is for all of creation as Jesus comes in final judgment. Even the sun and the moon participate in the symbolism of that. Isn't that amazing? Um, that, that's how severe our sin is. That's how, how uh, incredibly serious our judgment, the judgment that we deserve is. And, and that should make us, I mean, just reflecting on this for a moment, um, this day that we're talking about is actually going to happen. It's actually going to happen. The, the men and women that you work with, uh, the men and women that live in your neighborhood, uh, the men and women that we rub shoulders with at HEB this afternoon as we get groceries, are under this judgment as are all of humanity. And this is not a fairy tale. This is not a, a science fiction film. This is history told before it happens. And God is being very, very kind to us to tell us this is what's coming. This is how serious sin is, and this is the reality of judgment, so that we who are called to be ambassadors for Christ. And what does Paul say in Second Corinthians our message? Be reconciled to God through Jesus because this judgment is coming. God is not, we read this in Isaiah, um, God is not, not pleased in the judgment of sinners, but rather that they would repent, right? The, the scripture tells us. And we are his agents to go and to share that. So that, that's one thing. We, we should walk away from this, this preview of the end of the world. We should walk away with a seriousness in our hearts and a recommitment to, to share the gospel. Um, one of the things that was very unexpected on our trip, you would think on a, on a trip, a church trip to Israel, that uh, you'd just be amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and uh, Lisa and I got to um, uh, get to know several people. This is obviously not our church. We, we knew my parents, of course, and the pastor, and but we really didn't know anybody else on the trip. There were there were 80 people on our in our tour group, two buses, two buses, and uh, we got to know these two sisters and their mom. And their mom was how old was she? Almost 80. Little short uh, uh, gal, 80 years old, uh, looked very um, frail. Good night. She was leaving us in the dust, going up the stairs and running all over the place, and she was just like the little Energizer bunny running all over Palestine there. Um, but we got to know just a, a dear family, 
and uh, the, the one sister um, that that attended the church and all that. But but uh, the other sister who who was invited by the mom and uh, this other uh, sister uh, flew in from from out of town. And as we got to know her, um, it sounded like uh, she may not be a Christian on a trip to Israel. And uh, she doesn't really go to church and doesn't really read her Bible. And uh, actually had a very similar testimony to me. Grew up in a liturgical church and baptized and confirmed and, you know, would say that there was belief, but that's about all there was. And, you know, in, in a short time, it's hard to assess and we don't know her heart. God knows her heart. But but to encourage her what true Christianity was. And so one of the nights in the hotel, we got to sit there and and uh, try to challenge her in a, in a kind way and encourage her in what the gospel really is. And, um, you know, guys, this chapter should, should underscore an urgency to talk to lost people about this day that's coming. We, we do not want to have a guilty conscience when this day comes because we were unfaithful to tell the message of rescue to somebody who needed it. And you don't want that guilty conscience either, do you? But you know what? We, we don't even do this out of a guilty conscience. You know, you know why we ought to do this? Not, not of a guilty conscience. But we do this because God has entrusted us with a mission that is a privilege and an honor. And that's 2 Corinthians 5. We are ambassadors for the gospel. Our role is to go to all the earth and say, Be reconciled to your God through Christ. And that's our mission, and that's our goal. God has shown us how this ends so that we can live. In fact, can I just challenge you? As you walk away today, will you commit to live differently because of this vision of Isaiah that we've had a chance to look at today? We should not walk away today and go right back to what we're doing. We should walk away and make adjustments and live differently in light of what we've learned. But you know the second thing that we should walk away with reading this chapter? If this is the severity of what our sin deserves and necessitates, how much more amazing is the gospel of Jesus? How much more precious is the work of Christ? If this, if this is it, and we go, man, God annihilates the whole thing. Heaven and earth. Whole universe. In, in terms of the, the planet, everybody's involved because of that. How much, how much greater should the gospel be to us? Pastor Terry's going to talk about this this morning. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And some of us, not, not, I'm, not, I'm not pointing, I'm saying I struggle with this in my heart. Some of us are tempted to yawn. Because we know that verse. Because it's familiar. And Isaiah has, has just taken out his prophetic highlighter and said, Do you see how serious this sin business really is? And thus the solution ought to give us great praise and great thanks and great appreciation. And that is the motivation then to go out and tell people how to avoid uh, this horrific wrath that's coming. Okay? Alright, we finished the section and next week we get to start, we get to start another section in the book of Isaiah. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you that this has not been an easy chapter to look at as it, none of us likes to think about 
judgment and men and women that we love who will be punished eternally, neighbors, family, friends, um, people we go to school with, people we work with. Lord, will you will you allow Isaiah to motivate us to be fixed and focused on our role of evangelism? We can't make people believe. That's not our job. But our job is to tell them the message and urge them to turn away from this judgment that's coming. And Lord, will you, again, just overwhelm us with the cost and the value and the amazing truth that Jesus came to rescue us from what we've just read and to spare us this judgment that we fully and completely deserve, but in your kindness and grace offer to remove if we will trust your Son. Lord, we thank you that that this free gift of salvation is as easy as confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart. But Lord, help us not to undervalue the gospel just because it's familiar, but to see the reality of what our sin deserves. And might that make the gift of the gospel all the more precious and valuable in our mind. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to tell us what's going to happen so that we can have a confidence before you. Thank you for those of us that are trusting Christ, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We will not come under this judgment of that we just read about in Revelation. We will be spared that wrath and that judgment because of the blood of Christ. We're grateful, Lord. Will you make us to live differently in light of what we've learned today? In Jesus' name, amen.